The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. So as you know, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going through the Sermon on the Mount. We're in chapter 6. And I remind you that, you know, Jesus at this point is pointing out the hypocrisy and their giving, hypocrisy and their praying, and of course we'll study the hypocrisy and their fasting. But out of those three, he took the most time talking about prayer, so we're doing a subsection in this series, Learning to Pray, because it is important for us to pray, because Jesus himself, not only he said, hey, you guys praying on the streets so people look at you, and so forth, and you have vain repetitions as heathen do, but then he says, in this manner, this, this is the way you need to pray. And again, this is a model prayer, not necessarily meant to be prayed this way, but not only we need to pray this way, we need to live this way. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read the entire prayer. And he says in verse 9, In this manner, therefore, pray for our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And today we're going to be focusing on verse 12 where it says, And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then there's sort of a P.S., a little postscript, if you will, after the prayer, kind of emphasizing the importance on this verse in verses 14 and 15. He says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. You know, one of the things that Dwight Moody said, I was reading some Dwight Moody, and he said, There's one sin that has given Christians the most difficulty and holding back the power of God and revival, and that is the sin of an unforgiving spirit. And I think that is true. Now, last time we, last Sunday, we talked about praying for bread, if you will. It's having our meats, needs met, not just food-wise, but physical needs and so forth. But one of the greatest needs that we all need is the need of forgiveness, And if you look at verse 12 again, it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Because the man's greatest problem is the problem of sin. So the greatest need was what? Forgiveness. And that's what God provides. We have been forgiven the ultimate penalty of sin. And as Christians, we need to live in continued repentance. Repentance. We need God's constant forgiveness for the sins we continue to commit. Because when you came to Christ, God didn't fix you where you can't sin no more, right? Believers have experienced this once for all, what I call judicial forgiveness, if you will. They received it the moment they trusted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, so they're no longer condemned, no longer under judgment. 
As we read in Romans 8, 1 says, There is for therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, right? Important thing here is who do not walk according to the flesh. But because we still fall into sin, we are frequently require God's gracious forgiveness. Do you remember? Even we'll talk about some more examples, but one example comes to mind when David sinned, right? Committed adultery. He was a safe person. But if you read the Psalms, he says, restore the joy of my salvation. And folks, in 1 John chapter 1 and verses 8 and 9, it says this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, who is he writing to? The unbelieving world? It's the Christians. And then in verse 9, he says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus said in John 13, 10, says, Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but it's completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. So folks, Jesus' act of foot washing here is more than an example of humility. It was also a picture of forgiveness God gives in his repeated cleansing of those who are already saved. Dirt on the feet just symbolizes our daily contact with this world as we walk. Now, the word dead in verse 12 refers to sin. And how wonderful that sin can be forgiven. Now, why does God call sin a debt here? Well, because we owe God something because of our sin. You know, if in affairs of men, if somebody gets injured or we have a lawsuit, right, there you go to court, it might be a jury, it might be a judge, and then the judge will assess a penalty or a fine that you have to pay to the other person, restitution. The guilty person must be paying for those damages, and sin is a debt we owe. We have sinned against heaven, against this kingdom, and we are sued for damages in the kingdom's court, and we're all guilty. We've sinned against the holy God, but we're guilty not only for what we've done, we're also going to be guilty for what we don't do. You see, there are sins that are sins we fail to do, and Bible teaches the sins of omission are greater than the sins of commission. For example, when Jesus placed the curse upon the fig tree, do you guys remember that story? Well, why did he curse that fig tree? Because it was wicked? No, because it didn't have any fruit. It wasn't producing anything to begin with. Why did, remember the man that buried all the talents? He said, I'm not going to do anything with him. Well, why did God say he was wicked? Because he misused the funds? He did something with him he wasn't supposed to do? No. He didn't do anything with them. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Remember they were laying, the Levite passes by, and all the priests passes by? Why did Jesus condemn them and say they were guilty? Because they went out there and poked a stick and, you know, just wanted to put him off and kill him further, put him out of his misery? No. 
because they didn't do anything, right? A man was walking through his factory, and he told one of his employees, you're fired. He's like, well, I didn't do anything. He's like, that's why you're fired, because we don't do anything. So there's those kinds of sin. And then James 4.17 says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, to him it's a sin. So sin is a debt. It's a debt that we owe God for the things we've done and things we failed to do, a great debt. And guess what? It's a debt we cannot pay. So now when it means to talk about forgiveness, what forgive literally means, it means to bear a burden. You bear a burden. When you forgive somebody, you bear the burden of that person's debt. For example... If I owed Mike $10,000, now, Mike, this is just an illustration. Don't get excited. He was like, he owes me money. And because Mike says, hey, you owe me that $10,000, and I said, Mike, I can't pay that, man. I don't have any money. And because he's so generous, he says, when I forgive you, it cost Mike $10,000 to forgive. There's a price to pay. There's a debt. And every time somebody is forgiven, somebody else pays. Someone else pays. And typically it's the forgiver. So there's no free forgivings. It costs dearly to forgive, folks. Now, salvation may be free to us, but it costs Jesus. In Ephesians 1, 7, we read, In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption through his blood. He had to spill blood for the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So the Lord paid through grace out of his riches for my forgiveness. Now, God doesn't look over. He does never, as I told you before, he never overlooks sin. He never treats it lightly. But God himself pays the debt for my sin. And on the cross, Lord Jesus, with his blood, paid the debt of my sin. So forgiveness is paying the debt that others cannot pay. That's where it says, forgive us our debts. If you look again in Matthew 6, 12. Now Jesus is teaching us to pray, and he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When God forgives me, then God says, I must forgive others as I have been forgiven. Now, with that kind of introduction, I want to discuss some reasons why it's important for us to forgive. You know, we like that part, forgive us, but then forgive others. You know, like I said, if it wasn't people, for people, I'd be a perfect Christian. It's all those people we have to deal with in our lives. We have to forgive them. So when he opens up this prayer, if you notice, says, in this manner, therefore pray, And then you can look at it this way as forgive us our debts in the same manner as we forgive others. Now, at times there's somebody may have wronged you, maybe your parents, maybe your husband, wife, perhaps your employer, whoever. And the Lord's teaching us says, God, forgive me as I forgive them. Now, why should we forgive? Well, First and obvious reason is the grace factor. The first I want to discuss the grace, and I think in Ephesians 4:32 it tells us 
And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. You know, in King James Version, it says, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. God has forgiven you, has shown grace to you, and therefore we must show grace to one another. So it's very simple. Reason number one why we should give, forgive is the grace factor. Now, number two is what I call the guilt factor. If you look at verses 14 and 15, it says, For I, if, for, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you trespasses. Think about that. The person who refuses to forgive really destroys the bridge that he must travel on. And the only person who can afford not to forgive is the person who will never need forgiveness. And again, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. When you really think about that, it's a dangerous prayer to pray. Do you forgive others? Have you ever thought about it? Basically, what you're saying is, God, I want you to deal with me in the same way I deal with other people. And folks, this unforgiven spirit is not that you're merely missing a blessing from God, but it's a vic wicked, gross sin because what is God? It's God's nature. And when you don't forgive, you're not being godlike. And if you're not being godly, there's only one other option. You're being ungodly. And ungodly, it's a terrible thing. And folks, what he means here in this illustration is you find in other places in the Bible, if you don't forgive others, your father won't forgive you. And he says this in the parable in book of Matthew in chapter 18. I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. But he illustrates this in this way. In Matthew 18, verse 23, he says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle the accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle the accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell before him and saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. The master looked at him and said, Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. So in this parable, if you're not careful, there's 10,000 talents. You may miss this. Now, basically, that's an enormous debt, a debt that nobody could pay. And some research I did, and again, it said some millions of dollars. Other theologians said it's a billion dollars. But it's a debt that you can't pay, regardless of the amount. Now, what's interesting, too, it says 10,000. But I want you to point out how big it is. Because when the temple, Solomon built the temple, 
and it was overlaid with gold, they only used 5,000 talents of gold. Imagine the temple all outlined in gold, but this is 10,000. Look in First Chronicles 29.7. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents. And then it you know, illustrates the other stuff that they gave, but they only used 5,000. So the man owes 10,000. So when this king forgave him, it cost the king, just making it up, a billion dollars, just like it cost Mike the imaginary $10,000. Now, what happened to this story? Well, this fella goes out and finds somebody that owes him money. If you look at Matthew 18, 28. But the servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he lays his hand on him and took him by the throat, saying, pay me what you owe. Pay me what you owe. Here's a man that's been forgiven billions of dollars. Somebody that owes him $100. He puts his hands on his throat and says, you got to pay me now. The man says, I can't pay. Have mercy on me. And then in Matthew 18.30, he would not, but went out and threw him in prison till he should pay the debt. Do you see the analogy Jesus is making here? And Jesus speaks of this wickedness of that man who had not been forgiven. He's been forgiven, but he would not forgive. And then in verse 32 says, Then his master, after he called him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have compassion on your fellow servant just to have pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him into the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Do you see? He was forgiven. Then he refused to forgive. His master turned around and refused to forgive him. All those billions of dollars that were forgiven, now he may and owes again. And then Jesus points out in verse 35, he says, So my heavenly Father also will do to each will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother and his trespasses. Now, I want to point out that we do not earn God's forgiveness with our own forgiveness for others. Our forgiveness demonstrates our felt need of being forgiven, that we were forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our forgiveness should demonstrate. What It should show what the Lord has done in us and for us. And really, when we don't forgive others, it shows us that we really don't appreciate how much we ourselves have been forgiven in our own lives. So it's absolutely wicked for those of us who have been forgiven to refuse to forgive somebody else. And James says in James 2, verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. And this very sermon, as we studied the Beatitudes in chapter 5, verse 7, it says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So I need to forgive because of grace, and I need to forgive because of the guilt factor. You see, 
the man was forgiven, but then he was still found guilty if we don't forgive. And the next one is really is a grief factor. If we don't forgive, guilt will remain. And folks, the grief factor, what I'm talking about is when you do not forgive others, you're really causing yourself more harm. You are. Now, I can talk about all the health reasons, too. You don't sleep at night. You're going to have a heart attack, high blood pressure. But unforgiven spirit really keeps you in prison. You say, I'm not going to forgive those people. I'm going to keep them on the hook. Well, you need to remember when you're keeping them on the hook, you're on the hook, too. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So God forgave us for Christ's sake. <laughs> really, you need to forgive for Christ's sake, for their sake, and really, for your sake. For your sake. You see, forgiveness is not giving a person what they deserve. Forgiveness is giving to a person what they need. And most importantly, do it for your sake. Unforgiven spirit, that, that bitterness inside you, it keeps you in prison. A lot of people who can't forget, forgive, they become bitter, they become angry, and they become, you know, it's, they're impacting or affecting people, the world that they live in, and really that person that they have a grudge against could care less. And really you're just dissipating yourself. You have this grief factor. So what you're doing, folks, we need to understand when we want to get even, if you're, let's say, a saint, and there's a wicked person down here, and you say, I want to get even, well, what, what happens when you try to get even? You're shrinking down to their level. You're just as wicked as they are. But if you forgive, you bring them up to where you are. Well, you say, well, I'm just not going to not gonna get even. I'll just continue to hate. I won't take a revenge, but I still won't forgive them. Folks, when we do that, really, we're taking an acid into our own system. Acid of bitterness, and really, it's like bitterness is a poison where we drink it and we expect another person to die. You're destroying yourself. And in Hebrews 12, 15, it says, Be looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up to cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. See, that root of bitterness. You become defiled. And in Paul writes to Ephesians 4.31, says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. All those things mentioned start with bitterness. And all these things mentioned lead you to have an unforgiving spirit. So we forgive because of grace, because we've been forgiven. We forgive so we're not guilty. We continue to forgive the grief because if we don't forgive, you'll have continued grief in your own heart and you keep reminding yourself of that hurt that person did and it continues you to, to hurt you over and over and over all those times you try to replay it in your head. And the fourth reason we need to forgive is what we gain, the gain factor. 
You know, a person who has wounded you or did you wrong is either a brother or a sister or a potential brother or a sister. You see, every sinner is a potential saint. Isn't that true? Lest we forget. And Matthew 18.15 says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, and you go tell him his fault between you and him alone, and if he hears you, you have gained your brother. Isn't that a beautiful thing? When you forgive another, you gain a brother. And he said, when brothers and sisters fail to forgive, you know, people come to church with broken relationships, when people come in the name of Jesus, live with broken relationships, do you know what that does? Really, it disgraces the Father. In 1 John 4.20, it says, If someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar, for he who does not love his brother who he's seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. So if you're not doing this, you're disgracing God's name. But how did this prayer start out in verse 9 in Matthew 6? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Are you hallowing his name? Are you keeping his name holy? You're the children of God. Now, when we have also unforgiveness, it discourages this, the rest of the saints because it impacts the entire body, right? If you're part of the body, it impacts on the church. Not only that, we need to remember that the unbelieving world is looking at us. And really, unforgiveness kind of disgusts the lost because, you know, we're supposed to be loving and so forth. And when they see no love, they see the rift in the family, rift in the church. They're quick to point it out, right? Not all the good things. People always point out all the bad things. And many of them are not saved because of the sin in our hearts and our lives. And often, folks, it's the sin of unforgiveness, spirit of unforgiveness. And there's only one person that delights in unforgiveness, and that's the devil. That's the devil. He loves to see Christians with unforgiving spirit. But the Bible says in Psalm 133, 1, Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And folks, in Proverbs chapter 6, it lists the six things that God hates. In verse 16, it says, these things the Lord hates, seven abomination to him, the proud look, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plants, feet that are swift to running to evil, false witness who speaks lies, and those who sows discord among brethren. Well, if he's not a brother or sister, a person who sinned against me is really an unbeliever. Well, folks, if you're a Christian, you should have, they should be really a more object of your pity. Because they are blind. And he really needs the grace that you have. You have that power. If he's a brother, again, you're in the same body. When you harm him, you're harming yourself. And folks, the unbeliever, we don't need to 
drive them further into hell. They need to see God in us. They need to see that forgiving spirit in us. And folks, when we forgive, we have nothing to lose, really. Is it going to cost? Oh, it'll cost. But you'll have everything to gain. So we looked at some reasons why we should forgive. Now I want to talk about some costs. Remember we said somebody pays, somebody always pays. Forgiveness is a canceling of a debt. And when you forgive your debtor, you pay up. You're the one that pays. Again, what's the model for forgiving? Is Jesus, and as we already read in Ephesians, be kind to one another, forgiven, even as God in Christ forgave you. That's the model. You got forgiven, that's the way you are to forgive. And the kind of price the king paid is the same price we should be paying. So when we forgive, we need to forgive freely. So if you look at Matthew 10, 8, it says, freely you receive, freely give. Now, sometimes we run into a problem where we forgive after we get our revenge, right? We go out that person, we ruin their character, we say things about them and all that kind of stuff, and when we have a pound of flesh, sort of say, then we forgive. But again, Bible says, in Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness with anger, clamor, all those things be put away from you. So what I mean by this is we have to be in a hurry to forgive. Because, folks, if you're not in a hurry to forgive a person, that bitterness will become an infection and it'll be a lot harder to deal with and to clean up. Think about it. Jesus Christ on the cross was being crucified. And when they were crucifying, in Luke twenty two thirty four 34 says, this is what Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. And divided his garments, cast lots. This is at the same time he's being crucified. He's saying, Father, forgive them. Not later when he was resurrected or whatever. He was in a hurry. So the Bible teaches us we are to be anxious to forgive a brother or sister, he's the one the one did the wrong to me, so I'm going to wait till he comes to me. Folks, we already discussed that in Matthew 5. In 5.23, therefore, if we bring a gift to the altar and remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, then come to offer your gift. Whenever you right or wrong, whenever... Maybe you, maybe they're the ones that cause the pain. You should go to that individual in the hurry. Isn't that what God did, really, if you think about it, in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned? Did he wait till they come to him? No. In Genesis 3, 9, the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? And folks, that was not a voice of a detective or I'm going to show you up. That was a voice of a broken heart of God. Now, I understand, folks, sometimes you go to people, and we discussed this too previously. When you go to people, you want to talk to them, you want to straighten strings out, but they just refuse to talk to you, right? So if they're not willing to do it, 
you're in the clear. You did everything that is required of you. In Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as much depends on you, live peacefully with all men. So we are to forgive freely because we received it freely. We should be in a hurry. But we are also to forgive fully. Now, many times, pride is what prevents people from asking for forgiveness. And many times, pride prevents us not only from asking for forgiveness, but giving forgiveness. And what I mean by that is, somebody did you wrong, they're asking for forgiveness, and you say, ah, forget about it. Well, that's not the way to forgive a person. And sometimes we hurt a person, we say, well, if I hurt you, I didn't mean to, forgive me. So what I'm talking about, forgiveness, forgiveness is not politeness. When you come to God for forgiveness, and you ask God forgiveness, does God just say, oh, don't worry about it? Is that what God does when you come to him and ask for forgiveness? But when we ask for forgiveness, he doesn't remember it no more. Now, it doesn't mean that we're just intellectually come to blank. God remembers everything, but he chooses not to hold those sins against you. Now, if you're going to an individual and ask an individual to forgive you, make certain it's forgiveness that you get. And again, when you go to ask for forgiveness, don't say, if I'm wrong, if I wronged you, I'm sorry. No, you come to them and say, I've wronged you. Please forgive me. And the other person that's given the forgiving, don't say, oh, don't worry about it. Give them the forgiveness. Say, yes, I forgive you. Because pride, again, prevents us to letting them know that we're truly hurt. No, yes, it did hurt, and I forgive you. So we don't say those things. So make certain that it's forgiveness that we ask and forgiveness that we get. And we need to forgive finally. And what I mean by that is, you know, when we're asking God for forgiveness, it tells us that he doesn't remember it no more again. Again, doesn't mean that God doesn't remember it intellectually. He's all-powerful, all-knowing. But the Bible says in Psalm 79, 8, it says, Oh, do not remember former iniquities against us. Let your tender mercies come speedily to meet us, for we have been brought very low. And in Hebrews 8, 12, we read, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Again, doesn't mean that he cannot remember things. It just means there is no grudge there. He doesn't remember in a sense of remembering it against us or holding us accountable for that sin already that we asked forgiveness for. And he's not going to convict you or accuse you of the sin that you already confessed. So we must do the same. So it doesn't mean necessarily when we are to forgive and forget, it doesn't mean our mind goes blank and we just completely don't even remember that person doing something to us. No, it's there. But when that forgiveness, when you finally, you don't hold that 
against them because they already confessed that sin. And that's probably the biggest test if we truly forgive or not is when we're bringing it up again or not. You know, there was a businessman who kept his files on everything. You know, he loved paper and his filing cabinets were just stuffed with stuff over years and years and his receptionist says, hey, we need to clean up your office and get some of these old files out of here. We don't need them. They're just taking up space. And he said, well, I guess you're right. Go ahead and clean up the files. Shred and burn them. But before you do, make a copy of everything. That's the way we do things, right? We forgive, but we make a little copy. We're going to clean the files mentally, but somehow we don't truly forget in the sense that God wants us to forget. So when God forgives us, he does something for us, and he teaches me to forgive others. And it teaches us that it's going to cost, because it cost Jesus. It cost Jesus. But why is it worth the price? Well, why did Jesus pay this price? Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes I wonder why God didn't start all over. But if you read Hebrews 12 too, it says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Because he looked at it and said, it's, it's worth it. He looked at it and said, I will shed my blood for the joys of seeing Corne Petarenko being saved. That joy that was set before him. And you say, all right, that was Jesus. I don't have what it takes. You know, you don't know what that person did to me. You don't know the way the boss treats me. You don't know what was said for you. Forgive, I can't do it. Can I tell you something? You really can't. You can't. But you really also can. And let me show you how. In Philippians 2.12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, and that's what we need is obedience. As you always obeyed, not as in my presence, but how much more in my absence. Absence, he says, work out your own salvation with fearing and trembling. Now, I need to point out, it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. Salvation is a gift of God. But then you go to verse 13. It says, for it is God. So God worked it in. How do you work it out? For it is God who works it in both the will and to do for his good pleasure. So we can't say you can't because it is God that does two things. He gives you the desire and he gives you the dynamic to work it out. But did you catch that ver word, obey? Obey. There's somebody I cannot forgive. You know, I want justice. Folks, you know when we take our own revenge, we're taken away from God? Do you know that? Because the same God who says to forgive is the same God that says in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, 
but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So if there's any vengeance to give or any revenge, leave it to God. You think you can do something that God can't do? God will do a better job on it to begin with. Turn it over to God and don't take which is God. And begin to work out your salvation. Say, God, help me to love. Help me forgive that person and so forth. And love will begin to flow. You know, the other day I actually watched a documentary on Carrie Ten Boom and their family. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but she was a Dutch girl in World War II. And they hid a lot of Jews in their house and so forth. And eventually they were sent to the concentration camps. And you don't, I'm sure you know how people were treated there and so forth. But her sister died, she survived, and she became a radiant Christian, and she was later lecturing on forgiveness. She was at a church and lecturing on forgiveness. And one of these meetings, a man comes up to her and says, Carrie, I want you to forgive me. And it was one of the guards that was one of these concentration camps. And she said, I can't forgive him to herself. And really, I don't want to forgive him. But she prayed a prayer and said, God, as an act of obedience, teach me to forgive. And the man reached out her hand and she (laughs) kind of paused, but she forgave him. Was it her doing it? Said no. It was God through her. We may say, well, maybe that guard repented, given his heart to Christ. What about those people who continue to sin against us? What about those people who are still living in sin? Are we just to forgive them? They're continuing to stab us in the back. While they're kicking us while we're down, maybe they're stealing from us. Are we forgiven them? No. And yes. You see, there are times where people refuse forgiveness. And follow me here so you guys don't get lost. When you forgive with forgiveness, there must be also repentance. There must be repentance. God does not forgive you until what? You repent. And neither can you forgive or be forgiven without repentance. So repentance, either you did somebody's wrong, you need to repent, or they did something wrong, they need to repent. You see, in Peter, uh, in Matthew in 18, forgiveness is all over the Scripture. And uh, Jesus, again, points out to Peter in Matthew 18, verses 21, 22, says, Then Peter came to him, saying, Lord, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him up to seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. So now, not only you got to forgive, you got to learn how to do math. So there's that forgiveness Right? But then Jesus says, if you look, uh, look at uh, Luke 17, Jesus says, Take heed to yourself. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And then what? If he repents, forgive him. 
And if he sins against you seven times a day and seven times a day returns to you and saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, rebuke doesn't mean you scold him or whatever. You just tell him that you, you did him wrong. And repentance, don't expect them to come and be begging you or that's not what it's talking about. What is repentance? Repentance is you're going this way. You offend the person. You no longer go that way. You take a 180. So there must be a repentance And in James 5.16, James encourages brothers and sisters, he says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Asking forgiveness, folks, implies a confession. Sin that is not confessed cannot be forgiven. We have to confess to each other. So repentance is necessary for forgiveness. God doesn't forgive you unless you repent. And folks, we can't forgive others unless they repent. So you say, well, what is, so this is like the no part. You don't forgive them until there's repentance. And the yes part is, what if they refuse repentance? Do you need to forgive? This is a yes or no? Yes. But the way you forgive them is the same way what God has done. You forgive them in your heart. You store up that forgiveness for them in your heart. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, he died for every man who would repent, right? But there's also those people that will never repent. If you look at 1 John 2.2, it says, He himself is a preparation for our sins, not only for ours, but of the whole world. On Calvary, there's that potential, was that forgiveness in the heart of God is that forgiveness. It's already there. And so for the brother who will not repent or a sister sees no need for forgiveness, still in your heart, you must store up that forgiveness. And again, if you don't do that, that's fine. You don't want to work it out or, you know, confess or whatever. You still have to store it up in forgiveness because if you don't do that, you carry that bitterness around. Again, it's only going to hurt you. But in order for true repentance or a true forgiveness to take place, there must be repentance from you or for the other party. There must be a confession. So when we forgive others, folks, and I'm going to end with these things first, there's this release. There's the release on your own chest, on your own heart. When you forgive someone, you're not carrying that burden, that bitterness, that infection that impacts your life. And if there's true forgiveness, if there's repentance, what does that follow? Then you can reconcile with people. There's that reconciliation. And if we forgive one another, as Scripture teaches us, folks, there'll be revival in churches. And revival is not doesn't mean it's for the unbelieving people. Revival is for Christians. There'll be a power. Holy Spirit be doing things through you that you never thought imaginable. So this spirit of unforgiveness, of forgiveness holds us all back. And I will close with this scripture as Paul wrote to Colossian Church and even Grace Fellowship Church, believe that. In Colossians, he says, Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, 
so you also must do. Let's pray.